section four of neighbourhood a year's life in and about an english village by tickner edwards this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two february part two today as i settled myself to work with the lattices tight closed to shut out the lure of the songful morning there came a patter of earth upon the glass at first i thought it was one of the martins nests broken away from the eaves above being stuffed too full of hay by interloping sparrows but the sharp volley sounded again and looking out there on the path below i beheld the old vicar in wide-brimmed hat and tartan shawl how now old mole cried he shaking his stout oak cudgel at me the sun shines the west wind calls all the brooks are laughing over their beds yet there you hide in your burrow grouting among dead words warming up stale cold dreams a twelvemonth old shame on you come out and let the air and sunbeams riddle your dusty fur come and lend me your eyes for a long morning i have seen to mrs dawes's rheumatics i have done the school old collop has had his bedside talk i am free for a ramble and i want to go everywhere and hear tell of everything come this moment or i'll huff and i'll puff and i'll blow your house down with his jolly wrinkled face turned upward his long white beard wagging and his kind eyes steadily meeting mine it was difficult to believe that he could see only the faintest shadow of all before him that for years past he had lived and worked in a world of deepest dusk wherein the very noontide sun of summer was no more than a pale spot in never-ending gloom i got my thick boots and was soon trudging down the hill with him towards the riverside woods and meadows every yard of which had been familiar to him in his days of light aaron was running high with three spring tides yet to come much rain had fallen of late it looked as though the floods would soon be upon us unless the wind changed and drier colder weather set in we skirted the river bank with the wind whipping like ripples almost to our feet and the sun making a broad path of gold along the waters beyond the river stretched level green pastures intersected by deep dykes and beyond these again lay the misty blue sierra of wooded hills the old parson strode easily forward his face turned up to the sky his step never faltered but his stick hovered incessantly about the path as he went hark to the wind in the trees he said that is a new voice the elms must be in full bloom and i can guess what they look like 
and the sound is different in that clump of beeches there the leaf buds must be getting long and green now only the ash and the oak keep their winter voice in february thus it always was on our walks together what he heard he told me of and what i saw i gave him as well as i was able listen he said presently did you hear that that is the first chaffinch song of the year and there is the great tit clashing his silver cymbals together and the bullfinches blowing over the tops of their latch-keys and a green woodpecker laughing he never laughs in that grim scornful way until the year is well on the wing then i not to be behind him i see grass fresh new growth pushing up everywhere young nettles too they are coming up green amongst the old dead stems but they cannot sting yet yes they can and badly stop here a moment reverend the celandines are out thick on the bank and you remember their shining yellow five-rayed stars set in dark green leaves like the spade blades of hamlet's diggers below on the bank where it is too steep for anything else to grow there are coltsfoot flowers the drab earth glows with them no leaves at all but just long curved scaly stems each ending in a tuft of golden fleece and then there is i know i know i can look back a dozen springs and see them all as well as you but listen to that thrush that is his honeymooning note and the pair must be nesting not far away i have found thrushes nests in february many a time see if you can find this one your singer has flown and there goes the hen out of the other side of the bush if the nest is anywhere it will be here under this tangle of clematis yes two eggs already i wish you could see their clear greenish blue with the dapple marks on it i guided his hand to the nest and his fingers wandered lightly over it cold said he she will not begin to sit yet perhaps never on this clutch there is frost and snow ahead of us still though all of us forget it this weather bird beast and man the path led us into the hazel wood hazel below and overhead soaring columns of beech whose branches touched fingertips everywhere across the white flecked blue of the sky as we went along the sound of our footsteps in the fallen leaves was like the sound of wading through water i must read off to him what i saw about me as though it were from a book the hazel catkins were never so fine i think as they are this spring the wood is full of them like showers of gold-green rain falling whenever we brush against them clouds of pollen drift off in the wind 
it is the wind that makes the hazelnuts which we gather by and by what millions upon millions of spores only to make a few bushels of nuts i struck a single bush with my stick just now and for yards ahead the sunshine was misty with the floating green dust then here and there on every branch yes i can see it all there are little green buds each with a torch of bright crimson at its tip flaming in the sun why should they be so vividly coloured if only to catch what the wind brings floating pollen as blind as i no no the hazelnut was made for the bees originally depend upon it nature never uses bright colour unless to attract winged life we came out of the wood on the south side stopping just within the shade of the last trees we had a view over a chain of sunny sheltered meadows that lay between the riverside willows and the first steep escarpment of the downs here the wind was only a song above our heads scarce a breath stirred where we leaned upon the gate in the sunshine i must be at my living book again yet knew not where to begin so crowded was the page march is still three weeks off and yet the hares are already as mad as can be over there under the hangar a mile away i can see them racing and tumbling about together there are more celandines and coltsfoot blossom everywhere i can see daisies wherever i look and there is a disc of dandelion by the gatepost just where you stand what clouds of midges thousands are dancing in the air above our heads and i can see their wings making a hazy streak of light all down the hedgerow where the elders are in flourishing green leaf did you ever hear so many birds all singing at the same time and there goes an army of rooks and jackdaws overhead what a din the high yelping treble of the doors and the deep-voiced rooks singing bass to it the reverend put a hand upon my arm to stop me i can hear something else he said a dandelion did you say and she will come straight for it and as he spoke i heard the old familiar sound too it was a hive bee tempted abroad by the glad spring sunlight she came straight over the meadows passing all other blossoms by she settled on the single flower half hidden in its whirl of ragged green leaves close beside us and forthwith began to smother herself in its yellow pollen and there she goes again said the old vicar as the soft rich sound mingled once more with the myriad other notes about us high up into the air doesn't she making ever a wider and wider circle until she gets her first flying mark and then in the usual zigzag course home to the hive a bee-line 
people always make the words stand for something absolutely straight and direct but a true bee-line is the easiest way between two points not necessarily the shortest to take a bee-line if folk only knew it is just to fly through the calmest or most favouring airs judge the quickest way between all obstacles dodge the ravenous tits and sparrows and so get home safe and sound to the hive this spring the artlets have built their lambing pens on the sunny slope of windle hill in full view of the village when at thrashing time last autumn the wagons toiled up the steep hillside with their shuddering loads of yellow straw and the ricks were fashioned end to end in a curving line against the north strangers wondered why a farmer should carry his bedding down material so far from its main centres of consumption the stables and cowsheds but the reason for the work is clear enough at last behind the solid rampart of straw the lambing pens lie in cosy shelter and every day now sees them more populous day and night as the month wends on there arises from them a fuller and fuller melody alone perhaps of all other rural occupations shepherding remains unaffected by the avalanche of machinery and chemistry which has descended upon agriculture here and there may be found a flockmaster who talks of shearing machines but it is rare to find anything but the old hand clippers in use by the old-fashioned wandering gangs of shearers flocks are larger and so bring the modern shepherd more anxious care but in all essential ways his year's round of work is the same as in that time of old when the shepherds watched their flocks by night near bethlehem for the first time in near upon fifty years old artlet has had no hand in the pen-making rheumatism the lifelong foe of the shepherd has got him by the heels at last and if it turn out with him as with nearly all his kind he will never again leave the chimney corner until he is carried thence and laid to sleep beside his long line of forebears up in the churchyard but young george is as good a shepherd as any of his line in this as in all other branches of the craft wherever you go among the neighbouring sheep farms you will hear tell of the amazing good luck of windlecombe at lambing time george artlett views the matter from a different standpoint we sat together in his cosy hut on the hillside towards twelve o'clock of a gusty moonlit night the coke fire burned in the little stove with a steady brightness casting its red rays through the open door and out into the resounding night overhead a lantern swung gently to and fro rocking our shadows on the walls from the lambing pens hard by 
there rose a ceaseless yammering chorus and from the outer folds a confusion of tongues deeper still mingled with the tolling of innumerable bells george artlett sat on the straw mattress in the corner his knees drawn up to his chin ah luck said he a little scornfully peering at me through the cloud of tobacco smoke all from my own pipe which hovered between us and how be it then as them as believes in luck get so unaccountable little on it gregory over at reeds down yonder i want so much as throw a hurdle on a friday and a wears a bag o charm stuff round his neck and i would walk a mile sooner and goo under a ladder well how be it win lambs dyin every day folks say ah and yowls too seven on em gone already twill be thirteen i says thirteen the onlucky number and then twill stop tis reedstown's luck says he ye can do naught again it and next year i'll go on feedin short and poor jest as i allers does and puttin the yowls to the ram too young and lammin in the home yard again where tis so soggy and unhealthy jest because tis near tis bed when a man does his night shepherdin swearin at the lads through a windy i may well look for bad luck he rose and drew on his great blanket coat and pulled his sou'wester over his eyes then he took down the lantern from its hook and together we plunged out into the buffeting wind to make the round of the folds for the sixth time since my advent although the night was but half over the moon was nearly at the full in its flood of pure white light the lambing yard with its surrounding folds looked like some extensive fortification so high and impregnable seemed the walls that hemmed it in on every side these walls were made of sheaves of straw standing on end shoulder to shoulder of such girth and density that not a breath of the unruly wind could penetrate them within the lambing yard was floored a foot deep with the same straw and on all sides were the pens little separate bays flanked and topped by hurdles covered in with the like material the whole place was crowded with ewes and lambs the newest arrivals still in the pens with their mothers the rest almost as snugly berthed out in the main way of the yard outside this elaborate stockade were two great folds the one containing the ewes still to be reckoned with the other thronged with those whose troubles were happily over and with whom already the cares and joys of motherhood were verging on the trite shepherd artlet took no chances at any stage of his work at the entrance to the lambing yard he carefully covered up the lantern with his coat and thereafter allowed its light to fall only where he need direct his scrutiny nain a gregory's luck for me 
he said there bean't no wolves on the hill nowadays but sheep they be jest as much afeard o' summat as twere born in em to dread tis in their blood i reckons now look ye a naked light carried in the hand and let sudden in upon em see how it sets the shadders dancin and prancin all around like as not tis so the wolves come leapin round the folds ages and ages back and so it bides in the blood where all the sheep a sort of nature's bygone memory froughtin wan yow and ye be like the froughtin all set em stampedin and that means slip lambs turned milk and trouble without end gregory's luck again on these rounds every pen in the yard was visited and its denizens critically examined not a sheep of the huddled vociferating crowd through which we threaded our difficult course but had her share in george artlett's swift roving glance here and there we came upon a new-born lamb and then george took its four legs in one handful and carried it head downwards through the throng to the nearest vacant pen its frantic mother bleating her expostulation close in our rear there were the feeding cages to fill with hay and mangold to be carried in and scattered amongst the crouching sheep sometimes there was a sickly lamb or ewe to doctor when we went trudging back to rifle the medicine chest in the hut and rarely a weakling who refused its natural food must be taken under george's coat a silent shivering woolly atom and restored to life and voice by the warmth of our fire and the bottle in how great a measure the luck of windlecombe or any sheep farm depends on the foresight and tender care of the shepherd was well brought home to me as in the first ghostly light of morning something like a crisis came to vary the monotonous round of our task i had dozed off as i sat in my corner and woke to find grey dawn picking out the tops of the hills and george away on his unending business presently through the little window at my side i saw him coming back over the rimy grass his coat bulged out with the usual burden he set the lamb down on the straw by the fire limp and lifeless it looked and passed all aid but george fell patiently to work swabbing it as he worked he talked tis white eye again a fine yell but a unaccountable bad mother a be shirley purty nigh lost her lamb last season and now again tis near some matter when won't ye suck but's the little in a way o do that and the cut tis terrible hard put to it i were last time to savin and this well if a comes round twill be a miracle he stopped to fetch his breath then set to more vigorously than ever losh i do believe ay 
i'll do it better than a score of deadens a be a ready now sharp with a bottle but the wretched mute morsel of woolliness was too weak to suck and then george artlett did what i had never seen done before well well he said confidently we must try the old-fangled way wean he took a gulp of the warm milk and bringing the lamb's mouth to his own tenderly fed it again and again this was done until life began to flicker up strong once more in the little creature's body but mind ye said george as presently he stood looking down on the resuscitated lamb and regaling himself with its pitiful bleating no more a white eye off the findon fair a goose with the draught sheep next may sure as she's alive End of section 4